This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, November 13th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Airlines may not be as competitive as we might hope, and how the market for air travel is restricted means airlines can only innovate and compete among a narrow range of factors. Gary Leff is the chief financial officer at the Mercatus Center and a blogger at View from the Wing. We spoke last week about costs and benefits of airline regulation and innovation. I saw a story in the New York Times basically detailing uh, how Spirit Airlines, among others, are trying to, on the one hand, put more seats into planes, and they're very seem to be very open about uh, what they're doing. They're saying, "Look, we we put more seats on the planes so that everybody can fly for uh, less money." And there are groups like Flyers Rights that are uh, fighting for. Uh, I assume additional regulation of airlines that are trying to provide, you know, uh, sardine quality accommodations for a very low price. Right. So you know, the thing to understand is you know the, the traditional measure of uh, space when we're talking about legroom is called seat pitch. It's the distance from seat back to seat back. And an airline like Southwest Airlines is going to give you 32 inches seat back to seat back. Uh, American is now squeezing that down to 30 in some seats. United squeezes that down to 30 as well. It's it's not the comfortable product that I really want to fly if I can avoid it. And I, I think it's important for consumers to know the difference in the products. Uh, that you know, Southwest and JetBlue are going to offer more legroom. So when they're making a choice at a similar price point, but the ultra low cost carriers, Spirit, Allegiant, Frontier, are going to offer even less, down to 28 inches. That's very tight. Um, so a, a group called Flyers Rights has been uh, raising uh, the issue since 2010, since before United, Delta, and American have been squeezing their seat pitch, uh, saying that those uh, that the, the really tight seating that a Spirit offers that. Frontier now offers um, is potentially a safety issue. Uh, so they petitioned the FAA for a rulemaking where they say, look, you know, there are evacuation standards and you have to be able to demonstrate that um, people can get off the plane meeting these standards and, you know, gosh, are they going to be able to with that limited pitch? Um, the, the government basically in a fairly technical uh, rulemaking blew off the request. And so a federal court ruled that they didn't really follow proper regulatory procedure in doing that. Um, the FAA said, look, we have the studies, but they didn't detail the studies. Uh, and so they're going to have to go back and kind of redo their work. Um, but this is news now because the largest carriers are you know, reducing the amount of space in economy that passengers have, um, although not all airlines. And so there are, you know, there are choices that consumers have. All right. So um, this seems like a fairly narrow issue in a way if you're thinking about how airlines are regulated and how air travel more broadly is is uh, regulated. Flyers Rights seems most concerned about the, the safety issue related to people egress from uh, rows and people get evacuating from planes, but. You know, is there what other regulations are there that raise similar issues about uh, safety or at least the opportunity to 
uh, change the way air travel is done that what might maximize safety. Well, so I mean, I, I would push back on the notion that they're most concerned with egress. It's the it's the fulcrum around which you know they believe they have an opportunity to make a case, and you know it's generated quite a lot of sympathy from politicians. People hate you know love to hate the airlines, um, and they've now had some success in court at least uh, pushing back on the idea that they're completely blown off in their request for a rulemaking. Uh, where really you know they uh, want more space and coach. They want it to be free. It doesn't really work that way. Um, in fact, what you've got in the U.S. market is these ultra-low-cost carriers that offer less legroom, really driving down the price that everyone offers uh, travel at. So people are able to get uh, Delta, American, Alaska, Southwest, JetBlue flights less expensively because of these carriers are in the market. And what the regulation would do is effectively you know, ban the Spirit and Allegiant Frontier business model. It's going to drive up costs for everyone. And it's these Spirits and Frontiers and Allegiance that bring people, you know, uh, not just, you know, offering lower prices for people who are going to fly anyway, but take people off the roads, take people um, out of buses, and air travel is a safer method of transportation. So, you know, although the, you know, ironically, they talk about safety, it is a way of putting people into less safe forms of transportation. Now, the airline industry, we often talk about it as being deregulated, and so we think that it's a you know, huge free market, anything goes in air travel. Nothing could be farther from the truth. When we talk about deregulation, what we really mean is, uh, unlike prior to 1978, the federal government is not the one deciding where airlines fly uh, and the, what prices they charge. Deregulation means that airlines get to choose where they send their planes and what prices to charge for tickets, and prices have gone down. Right, virtually everything else in air travel is heavily regulated. From the time you enter the airport, uh, where you've got you know government not just setting security standards, but in most airports actually performing the security function. Uh, these are for the most part government-owned and operated airports. Uh, even in even in uh, towns, cities, uh, geographic areas where you have multiple airports, they're often even managed by the same government entity. So you don't have competition at the government level uh, across airports frequently, and then the planes, once they take off, are being managed in terms of where they fly by government air traffic control. Uh, the planes themselves are heavily regulated in terms, if you wanted to change windows in an aircraft, it can take maybe three years to, for the government to certify uh, that you can, your new windows. So it's an incredibly regulated industry. There's very little room for uh, innovation. And then um, there's even protection for incumbent carriers as well as subsidies, right? So uh, foreign uh, airlines can't simply enter the U.S. market. You couldn't have uh, Singapore Airlines and Ryanair come fly between Orlando and Los Angeles. It's simply not legal. Um, so that protects them from competition. And so, and you also mentioned uh, uh, before we started talking access to gates. What is the what is the role there, and how how does that? Uh, change the calculus of airlines when it comes to pricing. Sure. Well, you know the major markets, uh, airports are congested, and some of that's air traffic control. But it's also that there are long-term leases signed by incumbent airlines uh, for the gates at government airports that they've negotiated with the local uh, airport jurisdiction. And you know, new air airlines uh, simply can't enter the market. And in some cases, uh, take uh, Dallas Love Field as a great example. Uh, up until uh, very recently. 
recently, you could only fly to contiguous states out of Love Field. Uh, that restriction was li- was lifted. It was the it was had been called the Right Amendment, uh, which was put in place to limit competition that Southwest was going to offer uh, to the incumbent airlines when they began service. Um, but as part of that, there was a method that protects Southwest uh, at Right Field, uh, at, at Love Field, which is uh, that they reduced the number of gates at the airport from 32 town to 20. Uh, and by the way, Southwest uh, controls at least 18 of them. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's incredibly limiting. You can't just start a new airline. Uh, the government airports don't just expand. And then the question of how much uh, revenue the airports have is a political question. Uh, there are ticket taxes that fund uh, airport construction that the air incumbent airlines argue against raising uh, because they don't want, uh, in many cases, more gates unless the gates are going to go to them. Uh, interestingly, Alaska Airlines purchased Virgin America. And the biggest reason they did it is access to the gates that Virgin America was able to obtain over the last decade that they simply couldn't recreate themselves in congested airports uh, like in the Northeast, uh, like at uh, Dallas Love Field. Uh, So they're able to expand in a way they simply had no other opportunity to. So access to gates is, is is quite an asset then. Absolutely. The gates are uh, valuable. The um, inability of other airlines to uh, get gates prevents new competition. And and, and so the access to gates, part of that is driven by this uh, government ownership of airports? Well, you know, these are um, very expensive capital projects. They are politically driven. There's often regulatory capture where the incumbent carriers are very much uh, closely aligned with uh, the airports where they are the largest carrier. Uh, there's a number of other elements to it, too. It's difficult to expand for uh, environmental uh, noise pollution, sort of uh, local uh, NIMBY kinds of reasons, uh, given that these are very much uh, you know government-determined uh, with citizen participation and in but interests aligned with neighborhood interests often prevent growth. In your estimation, if flyers' rights were truly interested in the safety of travelers, not just air travelers, but travelers, uh, what kinds of regulatory changes should they be asking for? Well, before we start asking for regulatory changes for safety, I mean, I think we have to recognize how safe air transportation is. It's incredibly safe. Uh, It's increasingly safe. It's safer than it's ever been. And it's safer than other modes of transportation generally. And so it's simply not where I'd be focusing because in in efforts at uh, improvements in safety, because it's not an area where we live unsafe lives uh, in the skies. Um, that having been said, there are always improvements that you can make and lessons that you can learn. I mean, we've we've gotten to the place that we're at because every time something has gone wrong, one of the areas where I think that um, government does a pretty good job is in its uh, uh, investigation of problems and determining uh, what you know has gone wrong uh, when there have been issues in aviation. There are fa- you know fantastic professionals who've done those jobs, uh, and you know there's it's been a century of learning uh, that's gotten us to this place. Uh, so it's just not it's simply not an area of concern. So then you you would argue then that to help with regard to the safety of travel in general, we should be doing whatever we can to accommodate more people who want to fly. 
Oh, I mean, more people having access to flying, and that's one of the things that's been you know fantastic over the last forty years since deregulation, when prices have gone down and more people are able to fly. And you know, and the you know, there was even a term uh, for you know Southwest Airlines as it grew and entered new markets. It was referred to as the Southwest effect, which is that it would take people off of the roads and into the skies. You had more passengers than you ever had before because they were bringing access at you know convenient schedules and low prices to people. Uh, and frankly, that's what you know Spirit and Allegiant do today. You know, albeit in less comfort than Southwest has offered. Um, you know, you have to pay for your you know full size carry on bag. You don't have a lot of space. They'll charge you for water. I mean, this is not a luxury experience, but it is certainly a uh, a safe experience. And people who are uh, shoppers, there there are multiple dimensions uh, along which. Airlines could be competing. The government has prevented competition along some uh, of those dimensions. But uh, to the extent that price is a key uh, competitive uh, lever, these airlines have decided, well, look, these people aren't aren't interested in a luxurious experience. What they're interested in is is fast, cheap travel. Yeah. And here's the other piece of it is that the federal it, – it, it risks getting a lot worse. So in the in 2014, the Department of Transportation put forward a notice of proposed rulemaking where they were considering requiring the information that would be displayed with every display of an airline schedule where they decided what pa- information passengers ought to have when they're buying a ticket, which would effectively you know crowd out innovation for giving information to passengers that might – Inform them with what was useful. So, um, what they considered, and you know, in their, they, they ultimately didn't act, but haven't decided not to act. Um, they considered saying that you always had to see um, a set set of fees along with your ticket purchase. So, you know, maybe the first check bag or the second check bag or a change fee had to be displayed. And one of the things they considered was uh, requiring a pop-up on your screen, which of course was silly because it doesn't work very well in mobile and the direction that most, you know, travel booking is going is uh, is booking in mobile. But what that prevents is uh, the kind of competition to figure out what different consumers want to understand to make the best choices for themselves. I mean, I, I love the start up uh, Root Happy, for instance, that combines information about um, in-flight internet on a given flight, about um, uh, whether about meal service on a given flight, um, about uh, the in-flight entertainment experience, and different people are going to value different things. But right now, really, all we're uh, all, all that's deployed is this information on schedule and price. And it's not surprising people make decisions on the basis of schedule and price. It's both important. It's also the information that's easiest to get. Uh, there's a lot of te- legacy technology involved. There's a lot of regulation involved. But there's also the potential for it to get a lot worse if the uh, DOT were to move forward on uh, an area of regulation that they've appeared interested in in the past that would basically require customers to wade through said information that may not be what's most relevant to them, making it more difficult to get um, other information that could potentially be illuminating about uh, how to improve the travel experience that they're interested in. You know, as I say, do you have seatback TV? Do you have um, streaming uh, entertainment? Uh, do you have fast internet or slow internet on your plane? I mean, these are things that you know different people may care about. Right. It reminds me a little bit of uh, mandating calorie counts on uh, fast food restaurant menus. It's uh, calories are certainly an important measure, but maybe somebody cares more about vitamin C or carbohydrates or fat or protein. 
Yeah, you know, and and this is the thing is that we actually do see um, early innovation in providing better information to consumers. Uh, you know, it, we've what we really had in the development of online booking was you know move away from travel agents. Now we can romanticize travel agents; they weren't all good. But once upon a time, you would have somebody who would be able to tell the median consumer, "Is it a good idea to take a connection in Chicago in the winter that's forty-five minutes, or should you take a different?" connection. And you know, there's something lost as we've gone to the web for online booking, but what we're beginning to see is a, a further development of an innovation of mass customization where you take data and consumer behavior and try to offer consumers the information that's most useful to them. Um, it's still in its infancy, but there are a lot of competitors in that space, and that's I think what you want to see, not kind of freezing in time the information that you decide that all consumers have to have. Gary Leff blogs at View from the Wing and is the chief financial officer at the Mercatus Center. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 